I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet, and our producer, Lindsay, and we are streaming live from the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. And today we have Dr. Carmen Cavalli on to wrap it all up. We have talked about, let's see, breast enlargement. I learned that breast augmentation is not necessarily breast enlargement. So thank you, Dr. Cavalli, for clearing that up. And we also talked about tummy tucks, and we also talked about liposuction. Mm -hmm. And she is going to put this series all together and talk about the mommy makeover. And this is perfect timing for, guess what, Mother's Day. So mommy makeover for Mother's Day. So Dr. Cavalli, tell us how important mommy makeovers are. Uh, well, they're very important to the individual who desires one. <laughs> but a mommy makeover, of course, is an elective surgery. So it's something a woman would choose to do. And the primary motivation is to get back that pre-baby body or as close to the pre-baby body as possible. Uh, with all the changes that happen with pregnancy and with breastfeeding, those are the two areas that are most commonly addressed in a mommy makeover would be the breast and the tummy. And so what all what all is entailed in a mommy makeover? You talk about the breast area and, and tummy. So is liposuction involved? Is um, tummy tuck? So in, in most cases, well, in every case, a mommy makeover is completely customized. So a mommy makeover is like saying, I'm going to have soda today. Well, is it going to be Coke, Sprite, Diet Coke? You know, it, it's, a, it's an all-encompassing term for a number of different procedures that could be appropriate for any given mommy. But we know with pregnancy and breastfeeding, the two most commonly affected areas of the body are the breast and tummy. Some women are lucky enough that they don't have a lot of skin damage in the form of stretch marks after they have a pregnancy. And some are lucky that they don't have a lot of muscle stretch or a muscle that diastasis, that split between the two rectus muscles in the abdomen. If, if someone is lucky enough to get through pregnancies and not have a lot of loose skin or damaged skin and not have that muscle stretch, then their mommy makeover might include just liposuction of the tummy and maybe a breast lift or a breast reduction or a breast augmentation with a lift. It all depends on what it takes. Some women have liposuction of their thighs. Some women treat their arms or their bra rolls. It's all about what has changed with your mommyhood and what we need to do to get you back to what you had before. Uh, there's a photo on the screen here that um, I think Lindsay's showing us. We have, uh, this woman had a tummy tuck. You can see that from the scar across her lower abdomen. You can see that her belly button shape has changed. She no longer has the loose skin over the belly button. She now has a nice little V-shaped belly button. And she has, she does have swelling. You can see that in the lower abdomen. So this is an early post-operative photo, probably about six weeks after surgery, uh, given I know that the timing of our photography is six weeks, six months, and one year. This is definitely not a six-month post-operative photo because you can still see swelling in that lower abdomen. For the breast, it looks like we did a breast augmentation using breast implants. And that would be most likely silicone. Uh, they, were, they would have been under the muscle for this uh, lady. And the scar would be in the crease underneath the breast. So her mommy makeover included a tummy tuck and just breast implants. With a tummy tuck, I always do liposuction on the waist and some in the upper central abdomen if it needs it. So liposuction is always sort of an add-on piece of a mommy makeover, uh, especially if there's a tummy tuck, there's always gonna be some liposuction. 
Tina, do you have any questions for Dr. Cavalli? So from everything that we've learned, um, basically her results, she needs to be patient. She needs to realize that it's going to be about six months to a year out before she feels like this is what I was intending to happen. Is that correct? That is true. That's true when it comes to your final shape the softness and the scar appearance. Most of the swelling is gone at four to six weeks, but you have fluctuations in swelling. You'll have good days and bad days. The way I tell someone they know they're done healing is when you have chips and salsa or some other salt load and the next day you still feel fine, then you're pretty much done healing. But if the next day you're super swollen and bloated in all the treatment areas, that means your, your body's still figuring out what to do with that scar tissue. Uh, and you're very sensitive to sodium. Uh, so for most people, that stops happening around six to nine months, definitely by a year. But that's not the recovery period. The recovery period is um, about three weeks primarily for a mommy makeover. Now, if someone's had a lot more loose skin and we're going all the way around with the tummy tuck, we're doing a 360, we're doing a lower body lift. Those are phrases that are often used for the same surgery. It's a tummy tuck that goes all the way around. So it lifts the, the, the buttock, it lifts the lateral thighs, it removes that lower back roll. Uh, so if someone's having a more extensive skin removal, like a lower body lift um, or an arm lift along with their breast, then that recovery is going to be closer to four to six weeks. But on average, most mommy makeovers, the recovery is two to three weeks. And what does that recovery look like? Well, again, it depends on the exact combination of surgeries, but the most common would be a tummy tuck and usually breast implants with a breast lift. That recovery is about three weeks. The worst of it is the first week, and it's all about the tummy tuck because it feels like a, an iron corset that you can't loosen. It's just a tight, tight feeling down the middle. It's not the incisions that hurt. It's that tightness where the muscle's been sewn back together. Um, and you can't quite stand fully upright. And that's because you know, we remove the skin basically from the belly button down to the pubic bone. And so what's left of the skin has to cover that whole front of the tummy. So you can imagine that's a little bit tight and women tend to be a little hunched over, can't stand up straight for usually about a week. If they come back to their post-operative visit and they're still not standing up straight, I help them a little bit in the office and tell them to back up against the wall at home and just start every day standing up a little bit straighter until they get fully upright. Um, because of that, you know, they're protecting their abs and the hunched over position, the back tends to hurt a lot too. And women often complain of back pain, even if I haven't touched their backs with the surgery. And it's all from compensation, trying to protect the abs. Once they're standing upright again, that back pain goes away as well. The chest is like a tight feeling. It's like a friendly elephant sitting on your chest, just a tight, heavy, uh, sort of an engorged feeling. Uh, women who are mommies know what that feels like. <laughs> so it's just a, a tight, burning, heavy feeling. Uh, but something really good happens between the second and the third week. Everything starts to loosen and soften, and you know, you're getting off of most of the medications that you've been taking for, um, for muscle relaxation and for pain. And so the third week is a lot, lot better for most women. The drains are out by that time, um, so it's much nicer. And then we're focusing on the scars. Okay, and so tell us a little bit, well, let's get back into the scars a little bit later, but tell us, so in the recovery period, so are, 
are they supposed to be totally sedentary? Are they supposed to just light duty? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I definitely do not want any of my patients going home and just laying around. I expect them to get up and move around, not run laps around the house or, you know, get on the treadmill, but at least to get up and get moving. Laying in bed or laying in a recliner for hours and hours on end is not how you recover. You recover by getting moving. That also helps with the swelling because the more your muscles are moving, the more you're milking those lymphatics and some of that swelling is starting to go away more quickly. It also helps with the back pain because you're not going to be making that tightness a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, my abs are tight. I'm going to hunch. Oh, they're still tight. I'm going to hunch more. Oh, they're still tight. I'm going to hunch more. And suddenly you can't stand up at all and your back is seized up. So I want you moving. I want my patients getting up and walking around to the bathroom, get up to the kitchen to refill your water. You want to do that because you want to make sure your urine's clear. If your urine is not clear in that early recovery phase, you're not hydrated enough and you need to drink more water. Um, so just a little activity in the, usually in the second week, most women are able to drive again within the second, you know, in the, between the second and third week, they're driving again. Uh, and that depends on two things when they feel like they can react appropriately in traffic. So it's their choice. And when they're no longer taking any narcotics, for pain. So between the second and third week, I tell everyone though, for six weeks after an abdominoplasty or a tummy tuck or a lower body lift, you cannot do any strenuous abdominal exercises. That includes anything engaging the core. So you're not going to do yoga or Pilates, certainly no sit-ups or anything like that. If we've done breast augmentation under the muscle, when the implants are under the muscle, then there's also no strenuous chest exercises for six weeks. Again, we're back to yoga, Pilates, things like chest presses, but light weights, walking, getting on a treadmill, getting on an elliptical with stationary arms. Those are all fine whenever my patient feels like doing it. Good to know. So what about going back to work? It totally depends on the job. You know, this has been just the boom. I, I think we're calling it the zoom boom for plastic surgery during the pandemic because so many people are working from home that they're able to literally go back to work the day after surgery oh, yeah. and nobody at work knows it because they can just turn their camera off if they've had facial surgery or if they're having a mommy makeover, they can have their camera on, but it just looks like they're wearing a shirt and then they've got their pajama bottoms on. underneath. Right. So I think the answer to when can you go back to work today is very different than it was pre pandemic. Um, if someone has a sedentary job and they have to go into the office, I would say three weeks is ideal. Two weeks would be pushing it, but possible for some women. So three weeks for a sedentary job. If you have a more strenuous job that requires uh, constant standing or a lot of up and down, back and forth, certainly anything that requires lifting, that's a solid three weeks, maybe even four weeks before you get back. Nurses need to take a little bit longer off as an example. Yeah, good to know. Janet, do you have any questions for Dr. Cavalli? So once they're back to work, what what is um, their expectations for, um, you know, stepping it up? So like, for example, with exercise, do you just transition to how much they tolerate after that first four weeks or? That's a great question. So yes, uh, the other component to getting back to activity is the compression garments. Um, 
We always use some compression around the abdomen. Any liposuctioned areas are going to be in compression. Um, any breast lift is going to be in compression, like a compression bra. So as long as someone's in those compression garments, they're not really going to be able to get back to the gym, for instance. <laughs> but around four weeks, four to six weeks is when I tell people you can start playing with the garments a little bit. Go without for a few hours, see how you feel. If you're fine, then go a few more hours. At the end of the day, if you feel heavy and weighed down, you need to get back in those garments and watch the salt in your diet again. But once you get to six weeks, you can go without the garments. A lot of women choose to wear them a little bit longer because they just feel more supported and protected in them, but you don't have to. So at six weeks, that's when you can really start getting back. If you want to try going to the gym or you want to try you know, putting on the, try getting on the Peloton, um, you can try it around six weeks and just take it easy. Listen to your body. Don't do anything in a, in a quick jerky fashion, ease into it so you can protect yourself if you start to have too much discomfort and then just step it back, wait another week or so, and then try again. Everyone can get back to full normal activity at some point. And so are these garments, are they worn 24 seven? As long as they can stand it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So 24. Yeah, definitely sleeping in them is helpful. Um, some people just find them uncomfortable during the day and they might want to take a break from them. And I tell them just put some spanks on or, you know, under armor, just something else that has a little bit of support, uh, you know, take a break from the regular garments and then get back into them as soon as you can. So I, I guess, it really depends on the degree of how much surgery they've had as recovery. Um, so that plays into the picture of how quickly they're recovering, correct? It definitely does. If someone's mommy makeover is a little bit of liposuction on the tummy and a breast lift, they're good to go in probably a week. If someone's having a tummy tuck where we're working on the muscles or they're having a lot more liposuction, not just in areas, but in volume. If we're doing a liter of liposuction, that's a quick recovery. Five liters of liposuction, that's a longer recovery because there are more volume shifts, there are more electrolyte shifts, um, there's a little more anemia associated. And so even the liposuction alone can impact the length of recovery. Then you add on a tummy tuck, then you add on the thighs or the arms or the breast, and it, it just incrementally increases it. On average though, three weeks is about the max for most recoveries. So speaking of medications, cause you're talking to two pharmacists, what kind of medications, speaking of anemia, I don't know if you have to take iron supplements, but um, tell us about some of the medications that you normally take for pain and inflammation um, after a mommy makeover. And I, I'm, I'm sure it depends on the severity too, but if you can fill us in on that, that would be great. Sure. Actually, I use nearly the same regimen for every body surgery. And a lot of it has to do with trying my best to minimize or completely eliminate narcotics postoperatively. Um, obviously, a tummy tuck, that woman is going to need some, some narcotics. I tend to use oxycodone or Percocet uh, for that. But instead of giving 45, way back when I trained, that's what we would give everyone 45 with a refill. Yeah. Now I give 10 because we're maintaining pain control with other non-narcotic medications. I use Celebrex, which is an anti-inflammatory. I use Gabapentin, which is a nerve pain pill. The two together, Celebrex and Gabapentin together are 
additive. They, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Synergistic. Um, synergistic. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. They, yes, they work together to, to the, the team works better than the individual. So Celebrex and Gabapentin together. Um, I use Robaxin, which is a muscle relaxer, but it's not sedating. It's not habit forming. Uh, so this whole regimen during surgery, women get IV Tylenol, which doesn't sound like much, but it has been statistically proven to decrease the need for narcotics post-operatively. So I use IV Tylenol. I use Celebrex and Gabapentin before the surgery. Women take it the night before and then the morning of the surgery and then continue it after. Um, we do antibiotics just for 24 hours, no longer than that. I restart them if we start to have any problems, you know, in the next week or so, I'll restart antibiotics, but it's not too terribly often we need to do that. Um, also during surgery, um, we use Decadron, a steroid, which helps to decrease inflammation and it helps with post-operative nausea. And I use a scopolamine patch, the little patch that you can use when you're on ships for, for um, ocean sickness. Uh, we use that too because it helps prevent post-operative nausea and vomiting because what can you think is probably the worst thing a woman would do after having a tummy tuck the vomit yeah I, can <laughs> you I can't imagine right <laughs> so we throw everything in the kitchen sink at post-operative nausea and vomiting we absolutely do not want that i give zofran to go home with uh, which is another um, nausea medication you just slip it under their tongue it dissolves quickly but most of my patients don't need to take it it's their just in case, but we do a pretty good job um, perioperatively and intraoperatively. Our anesthesia team is fabulous at um, being very mindful that we need to have no nausea and we need to have very good pain control for this outpatient surgery. These women are not spending the night. They are going home the same day. Even the lower body lifts are going home the same day. So we have to have good nausea and pain control. So speaking of um, going home same day, I, I imagine one of the biggest issues is, you know, patient compliance possibly and maybe not following ex exactly the directions that the doctor prescribed um, and not just for medications, but everything in general, compression garments and, and things like that. So what do you see as complications commonly from any of these mommy makeovers? What is the most common complication? Well, the, the most common complication is probably post-operative asymmetry, if you want to call that a complication. Um, you know, most people aren't symmetric to start with, and right. liposuction and tummy tucks are a very visual surgery, but there's also tension in the tissues, and that's sometimes hard to gauge, and we can sometimes end up with small asymmetries or thicker scars in one area or another. I use the same sutures on everyone, but some women just don't agree with those sutures and every single one of them spits and becomes a tiny little wound that we then have to fix later. Thankfully, that doesn't happen terribly often, but it just shows there, there are very individual uh, characteristics that are involved in some of the final outcomes that we get. Um, bleeding is a potential complication. Thankfully, it's not terribly common. Anemia though, is because when we're doing large surgeries with a lot of volume shifts, you can expect that there is some blood loss and some women are more sensitive to anemia than others. Um, I rarely have to start post-operative iron, but I have on occasion over the years. Um, rarely have we had to admit anyone to the hospital after some of these surgeries, but over the years, of course I have. 
I think the only surgeon with no complications is either lying or not operating. Right. They're there's not doing surgery. No <laughs> there's no way to operate and not have complications. I, the key is, do, can you recognize the complication? Can you, can you recognize it quickly? And do you know how to handle it? And if you don't know how to handle it, do you know someone who can help you? <laughs> so those are the keys, just hand holding through the whole situation, making sure the patient understands, I'm not going to leave you with a bad scar. I'm not going to leave you unhappy. We're going to work through this together. It's going to take a while. It could take a year. It could take a year and a half. But ultimately, we're going to get to where you want to be. So speaking of the um, scars, what is it that you do to minimize scarring at, like post-op? Sure. So a couple things. Um, I, I use subcuticular barbed sutures. They literally have little barbs on them, which means I don't have to tie any knots. And that's important mm. because every knot al along the length of an incision, every knot is a point of tension. Right. And every knot is a potential for something that the body says, I don't want that here. I'm going to spit that out. And now you've got a hole to deal with. So I use barbed sutures that have these tiny little tiny little barbs that catch the tissues as I sew underneath the skin. So everything is under even tension, not asymmetric or uneven tension. That's the first thing. It, well, it's layers of sutures as well. So there's tension taken off of the under layers and then finally a tension-free closure on the skin. So tension-free and um, evenly dispersed tension. The second thing I use is uh, skin glue. The glue is not to hold the wound together. It's just to seal it so we don't have an early infection from any contamination postoperatively. But then I put paper tape. Pressure from paper tape has been shown, or from any tape, has been shown to diminish the height and color of scars over time. So once I see someone back in the office and we take that paper tape off, we have them, you know, go for another week or so to, until the glue finally falls off. Then I have them start retaping and I have them use a product called Biocornium. Uh, it's a silicone uh, cream with SPF in it. So they can put the biocornium cream on and then apply the tape right over that, their paper tape, and leave it on for a day or two. They can shower with it, change it every couple of days. And I have them continue that for up to three months after the surgery, assuming they don't have any tape irritation. If they start having tape irritation, I have them stop the tape and just continue the biocornium. Uh, silicone and pressure are both known to help with, uh, to keep scars thin, flat, pale and soft. And that's the best you can hope for a scar. There's no such thing as a scarless surgery. There's no such thing as taking away a scar. If a scar is thin, flat, pale, and soft, that's the best scar you can get. Now, speaking of the symmetry issues, dues, I'm assuming that wearing compression garments helps symmetry somewhat. Is Sometimes when when people end up with bad symmetries because they didn't wear the compression garments as much as they could have? Is it, could that happen? Um, early on, yes. But compression really helps with, with swelling. Okay. So if somebody has a lot more swelling on one side than the other, they could end up with more loose skin because that skin's been restretched to some degree. So in that regard, yes, you could have some asymmetry from lack of adequate compression. Uh, the swelling itself is always going to go away eventually. It just goes away faster if someone's wearing their compression. Um, I don't often blame patients, and I know that's not what you're implying, but 
most problems that happen after surgery, thankfully, are not due to poor compliance. Um, most patients want to do whatever it takes to, right. to get their best result and to keep their best result. They're paying out of pocket for this surgery. Right. It's an elective surgery that's fully cosmetic in nature. So they're very motivated patients who want to get it right. Uh, I tend to be more of a, it's going to be fine. You know, <laughs> if you want to take your garment off a week early, go ahead. If it's driving you crazy, just take it off, be comfortable, get up, you know, get more active. It'll be okay. Swelling's going to go down. Oh, you don't want to use the tape. That's fine. So I'm not a very uh, dogmatic person when it comes to post-operative care. I, I let people play it by ear to some extent. There's not right. a whole lot someone can do to really mess up what I've done. Well, and it sounds like, you know, the, the, the barb sutures and the tape and the silicone cream and all that is those details are so important. That's why it's important to pick a good plastic surgeon, correct? Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. And the other, the flip side to that is even with all of those uh, preventive measures, I mean, someone could still have a poor scar. It could be from maybe an infection that led to a wound. It could be just somebody formed a hypertrophic scar or formed, heaven forbid, a keloid scar. Those are all things that we also address. So if we have to do steroid injections, catalog injections in the office, we'll do that. We'll do microneedling in the office to flatten scars that are thick or raised or dark. Um, we'll do scar revision, usually at nine to 12 months after surgery. If someone still has a thick raised or widened scar or an atrophic kind of flat wide scar that doesn't match the rest of it, we'll just revise those in the office, numb it up, take it out, start over fresh. They tend not to come back uh, if they're hypertrophic scars. The keloid scars, the ones that are thick, raised, itchy, and extend beyond the confines of the original wound. That's the definition of a keloid versus a hypertrophic. A hypertrophic scar is thick, raised, ropey, and itchy, but stays within the confines of the original wound. So it's linear. A keloid creates these little fingers. In fact, uh, okay. keloid, keloid from the Greek is crab. So crab-like fingers or extensions from the scar. Keloids tend to sadly come back. About 76, I think is the percentage, 76% of the time when you revise a keloid, it is going to come back. So that's a battle that... Um, we try to get ahead of if somebody already has keloid scars on their bodies. Uh, I'll often um, counsel heavily about what we might be in for if we proceed with big operations. Uh, hypertrophic scars, I'm not so worried about. We can fix those. And when you're talking about the steroid injections um, to, to get on top of the scarring, it, that must be kind of early on when you notice that when you notice the scar early on. Six to 12 weeks typically is when you start to see a thicker raised or ropey scar. I don't like to, I really, really, really hesitate to inject Kenalog or any steroid into the scars because as you know, it can for it can atrophy the good skin around the scar and it can create a purple discoloration that's permanent. It can create um, new little red blood vessels, telangiectasias right under the skin that are visible and also permanent unless you do sclerotherapy, but now you've created a whole nother problem to right. deal with. So, 
So injecting Kenalog is something I will do, but I tend not to do it so early. I tend to do it later, more like six months. If, oh. if we've done everything else with the with the biocornium or with silicone sheeting, I'll step up to silicone sheets. If I want you know, more silicone, we'll use the biocornium, add a silicone sheet. If the scar is persisting at six months, then I'll give in and, and inject a little bit of Kenalog to tame it down. So... Um, as we wrap this podcast up, I have a, a, a big question that a lot of our viewers and listeners might want to know. If they are not located really close to you, because if you take a mommy makeover, it's a two to three week process of following up with the plastic surgeon. So if they're not located by a great, close to you, a great plastic surgeon like you, how, what's the first step in trying to find a good plastic surgeon like yourself? So you want to find somebody who's specifically certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, not cosmetics. Cosmetics is not a, not a thing. <laughs> it's the American Board of Plastic Surgery. And you can find a board certified plastic surgeon a couple of different ways. Uh, the most direct way would be to go to plasticsurgery.org. That is the website for the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. Uh, that's different from the board. But every member of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons is first a board certified plastic surgeon and then right. can become a member of ASPS. So plasticsurgery.org is a very safe way to start your search for a plastic surgeon. Cool. So we know that now that you've done four shows with us, we know that we, you, what, we, what you have a passion for and obviously you've shared that. Um, but tell us just again, why you do what you do and why you love it because it's obvious that you do so why do you love it i do, i can't imagine doing anything else and i went into plastic surgery to do breast reconstruction i saw a breast reconstruction done in early in my training and it was like the angels saying and that is just what i wanted to do and my practice has developed in a different way and and now i do all aesthetic surgery but it lets me give women back self-esteem that they might have lost. I'm not making a new person. I'm just giving them a little more oomph to, to be fully who they are. And that's what I love about what I do. Life-changing for sure. Dr. Cavalli, thank you so much for being on our show today. And as always, you are a wealth of knowledge and definitely an expert in this subject. Um, so stay tuned for um Wednesday. We'll be streaming. We'll be streaming Wednesday and we'll have Dr. Diana Garnita on. She is a rheumatologist and she is going to be talking about NSAIDs and cardio and how they cause cardiovascular problems. So you don't want to miss out on that one. Uh, Dr. Cavalli, thank you so much. And listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.